Thanks to ZipRecruiter, which is the presenting sponsor of Recode Media and the smartest way to hire. Staffing tech companies is tricky. From high turnover to rapidly changing skill sets, you really have to stay on your toes. ZipRecruiter knows because they're a tech company too. So it's no surprise they built a product that uses powerful machine learning algorithms that make finding qualified candidates simple, efficient, and intuitive. If you're hiring, it's time to get smart. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka, but as you can probably tell, I am not Peter Kafka. I'm Kara Swisher, the editor-at-large of Recode and the host of Recode Decode. As you know, Peter loves doing this podcast and we love putting it out every week, but there's an important reason he's not here today. Don't worry, he's not leaving us and there is no podcaster on earth who could replace the Peter Kafka. However, Peter has had an unexpected personal issue come up and he has to take some time to focus on that. We didn't want to stop the show in his absence, so for the next little while, you'll be hearing from a series of guest hosts instead of Peter. Once he's ready to come back, the microphone will be waiting for him. But for today, I'm going to hand it off to Recode Senior Social Media Editor, Kurt Wagner, who's hosting today's new episode. One more thing before I do that, as Peter always says, tell someone else about the show. Actually, he says it like this. Tell someone else about the show. Okay, that's all I've got for now, but I'll be back later in the show to read some ads. Take it away, Kurt. Thank you, Kara. I am here with Ryan Hoover, who's the founder and CEO of Product Hunt. Ryan, welcome to Recode Media. Thanks for having me. I've been uh, a listener of the podcast for many months, so it's always kind of fun to be on it. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm. You said that when uh, when when I reached out. Do you have? I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have like favorite? Folks that you remember hearing on here, or like a favorite, you're in the red chair, so I feel I like know, you know, I like know. there's been a lot of people in that red chair, a lot chair. of famous butts in this chair. I imagine, <laughs> yeah, been. tech famous butts. Um, oh man, I, I should have came prepared. I, I know, know, I put you. There's on been the a lot of amazing guests. That's on me. That's on me. <laughs> I put you on the spot there. Um, well, yeah. we're really happy to have your butt in this red chair. So yeah. thank you for being here. <laughs> um, I think the last time you and I spoke. Formally was when Product Hunt got acquired mm-hmm. by AngelList. That was almost what a year and a half ago. Yeah, about nineteen months ago. Nineteen months yeah. ago. Um, how has life changed for you since then? Yeah, so it's I've gotten this question a lot in the past year and a half. Sure, and uh, you know, in some ways, not a lot has changed. In, in some ways, we part of the the vision and the reason why we moved and kind of went under the AngelList umbrella is that. We wanted to keep some cohesiveness around the community and the team and not break what's working. And so we still are 20 people, roughly the same size that we were before, still mostly the same team. And we're really focused still on building community and helping makers get users, get feedback, um, connect with other people, get inspired, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, and I want to talk about what Product Hunt is and what it's become. Because I think if you're in Silicon Valley, you've heard of it and you're aware of it. Uh, For a lot of people who who aren't in Silicon Valley, perhaps the this would be a good introduction to the product. Um, but I have to ask one more question yeah, about the acquisition yeah. because did you have a great celebration story or something? Like I imagine <laughs> if I sold my my business for $20 million, I would be like, you know, doing somersaults off the rooftop or something like that. You know, I was so exhausted. By the end of it, it's it's the first acquisition I've gone through and it's incredibly exhausting because it's exciting but stressful and you're managing a bunch of different parties, both your investors, your team, uh, your own like sanity. And so the celebration, honestly, I went down to LA. My girlfriend Susie lives there, and I think we just grabbed dinner and fell asleep at like 10 p.m. Wild and yeah. crazy. I, I think I had one glass of champagne. I was gonna say, did you at least like splurge on dinner and get something really nice? It was it was uh, like a two star Yelp uh, price range. Wow. So it okay. wasn't. I, I, I mean, we can 
celebrate later. Yeah. I was just so tired at the time. Fair enough. That's all I wanted to do. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Great. Well, let's talk about Product Hunt and what you guys are um, Mm -hmm. because... I'll give it, how about this? I'm going to give you a 10 second description, but then I want you to kind of swoop in and correct me. Um, Product Hunt, I think of it as kind of a Reddit rating system, but for products, for services. So Mm -hmm. if I'm an entrepreneur, I might throw my new app up there and introduce it to the world. And people, if they like it, they will upvote it. And each day I can go to the website and see what's kind of the cool stuff that people are talking about today. Mm -hmm. At least that is how it was, has been historically. There's obviously, a bunch of other features you have now, but mm-hmm. how did I do? Like, is that that's the that's just yeah? People that know Reddit immediately, it, people like X for Y's, and the simplest way. Well, it might be um, a little bit slightly demeaning or, or minimalistic in terms of what we're building. Reddit for products is largely what the the base was built off of, and so yeah, you go there every day. I wake up, I go to Product Hunt, and I see what people are launching and what people are are sharing, and. Instead of most other platforms for product discovery, it's a lot about search. You go to Amazon to search for a very specific thing. You go to Wirecutter to search for, uh, you know, the best of X, whatever you're purchasing. But on Product Hunt, you go there to find things that, you know, you didn't know existed, that didn't exist yesterday because they just launched. So instead of finding the best of, it's really about what the newest and coolest, most interesting products are. And it's become, you know, a community of people around the world. About half of our audience is outside the U.S. So we have. A lot of people across uh, a lot of the tech hubs, like whether it's Berlin or Paris or Toronto, launching products and sharing them. And so it's kind of grown into this global community of just celebrating entrepreneurship and and makers in general. Is that something that you were personally interested? I imagine you you were a maker yourself of some kind, but how do you go from doing this yourself to saying, hey, we need a, a place for other people to kind of put their ideas? Yeah, it started... Well, I'll, I'll go back to 2011. Uh, yeah, I think it was around 2011. I actually dug this up from a tweet when I, when I was doing some uh, kind of internet archaeology uh, for myself. And I used to browse AngelList at the time. And I, I tweeted back in 2011 something about browsing AngelList and just for fun as a consumer. I'm not an investor at the time. I wasn't looking for a job, but I was just exploring products and companies. And I used AngelList as a source to find cool stuff. But AngelList actually wasn't built for product discovery. It's not what it's intended for. Mm -hmm. And that was in part some of the inspiration. And then just over the years, I've always loved products. I would download and, uh, you know, explore what's what's hot in Japan right now in the App Store. What's number one? And why is it cool? Why is it interesting? Why are people um, excited about this product that's different than things that are popular in the U.S.? So I'm kind of a geek in that sense. I love playing with products, playing with apps, and... uh, the inspiration is largely just how do we build a community and build a place where you can find the coolest things each day, and um, and largely celebrate these people that are that are you know trying to build new things. It's really hard to build a product. Yeah, and what's your bet? Ba- I mean, you're the way you talk about it. I think I would instantly assume, oh, you must have gone to Stanford and kind of been in the Silicon Valley world your whole life. But I know that's not actually the case. You're from Oregon, right? I think mm-hmm. you went to the University of Oregon. Um, not that people outside of Silicon Valley can't be pumped about apps, but how, you yeah. know, how did you kind of get into that whole scene? Yeah, so I, I actually, my path towards tech, you know, when I was a kid, I used to play with technology and uh, I'd hack my Xbox and broke an Xbox, which at the time was super expensive, um, <laughs> just playing around with it and used to buy and sell things on eBay. So I've always been entrepreneurial and playing with technology, but it wasn't until college when I got my chance to break into technology and actually pursue a career as an intern. And it was actually at a video game company in Eugene, Oregon. And that's what kind of uh, 
that was the first time I realized what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do in college or before that. Um, it's one of those big questions as a student. You're like, what do I want to do with my life? <laughs> sure. And I think you're the only person who's ever thought that question. Yeah. Right? The all of us all ever. have it figured out. I can't believe you did. I know. That. I know. It's pathetic. Uh, but I got lucky. I got an internship that turned into product management role. And then I moved to San Francisco 2010 to join a company, um, a small company of about 10 people at the time. Yeah. And you started Product Hunt when you were young, right? Like, 20, what, five? I was 20, was it 26 when it started, I believe. Now I'm 31. And so what made you say, uh, you know, at the age of 26, like, oh, I'm comfortable going out and, and doing my own thing? Yeah, it was, everyone, I don't want to be cliche, but everyone, I think, feels some level of imposter syndrome. I think it's natural and normal to have that feeling. And before Product Hunt started, actually, I never managed anybody. I was a product manager who sort of manages indirectly, but you never have any direct reports as a you know individual contributor PM. And so when Product Hunt started, I was like, oh shit, how do I how do I build a team? How do I keep people motivated? Mm-hmm. How do I do all these things? And there's something about just being thrown into the fire that I think is like humans adapt pretty quickly. At least certain types of people, and you just have to learn as you go. So for me, I never had the ambition of well, rather. I always wanted to start a company, but I never wanted to force myself to start a company and it had to be the right fit, the right thing. And prior to raising capital, a lot of the questions I asked myself was like, do I want to work on this thing for 10 years? And that was sort of my my benchmark. Is this something I'm excited to work on every single day for 10 years? And uh, and yeah, I'm still still pumped to be working on it. I'm sure you've learned a lot since 2011. What's uh, When you look back, what's a big mistake that you think that you made? Yeah, there's... There's a bunch of them. Uh, some of them I think people empathize with, I hope. Uh, one of them is redesigns. I think redesigns are a big, as someone who loves uh, well-polished products and beautiful products, it's easy to fall into a trap of just redesigning things or iterating on very small design details and UX changes. And there's certainly times when we wasted time. We ended up spending time redesigning our feed. And fundamentally, none of those design changes actually changed our metrics or changed how people use Product Hunt. Mm-hmm. Yet we would spend weeks or months iterating uh, in different dif- different phases, these different design iterations. It, it just seemed important to you, basically? It's, it's well, there's, there's one side where you never really know what the impact will be sometimes, but you can have a pretty good educated guess uh, the more experienced you get. And the more experienced I get, the more I realize that redesigns are a trap in many cases. And if you have something that's working, you maybe shouldn't spend so much time redesigning it necessarily. Yeah, you should probably expand upon it or find a behavior and build upon it uh, in new different ways. It's I, I'm a, I'm weary of going down a rabbit hole here, but um, I'm just going to because yeah. you said redesigns. Um, what do you think of the Snapchat redesign? Just I thought that's, you might say that. That's the biggest. <laughs> that's the biggest one, right? And yeah. it's it's. Uh, we've talked about it so much publicly. I need to know your thoughts now. Yeah. Well, so I'll, I'll caveat it with I don't know the the data. I don't know the inner workings of the company. Right. So it's hard to have a full picture of like their decision process there. I think my assumption, based on what I've read on Recode and other publications about their changes, and I think Evan's interview with Kara uh, a month ago or yeah, so, yeah, Code Conference. Yeah, yeah, that was a great interview. And um, from my assumptions and what I've gathered, it seemed like they had a lot of good evidence and. Uh, justification for changing some of these things. Now, sometimes it just doesn't work. Maybe you have a really good idea and you have to just try it with your users first. Um, since then, I think they've reverted. Yeah, they most have. Of they've taken changes. some of them back. Yeah. 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 And we've we've done the same actually. There was one version of our homepage that we AB tested where instead of this very condensed feed that was very scannable and quick to look at, 
we actually explored a full big version where there are images and videos within the feed itself. So each page view, each like uh, above the fold was only about two or three products, but you got to see more about the product. And we thought that that might actually make the product more engaging and fun to browse because it was more visual, but people hated it. And the <laughs> metrics actually showed that people were discovering less products, and so we reverted and killed that product entirely. Is that an ego kill to you know think you are onto something and then have to basically swallow your pride and reverse it? Yeah, it's it's tough because you gotta you have to keep yourself honest. And ideally, I'll, I'll admit we don't always do this uh, as maybe we should, but sometimes. You just need to set metrics and a particular goal up front so that when you launch and after a month passes, you can say, is this, is this what we, is this success or not? Because it's really easy to convince yourself that, oh, this is successful or, oh, it's just not there yet. Let's keep working on it. And that's a hard, hard thing to answer sometimes. I imagine given the platform you run and the types of people who use it, you probably have no shortage of people weighing in on what you should be doing from, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you know, all the entrepreneurs, right? And so like, do you get a lot of unsolicited advice for how to make product hunt better? Yeah, yeah, we do. And it's one of the, I guess, advantages we have is that we have people who are excited to share their opinion. And with any kind of opinion, you need to take some of it with a grain of salt, because those opinions, they don't necessarily know your full vision or other product features that impact maybe this particular thing. And so you have to hopefully listen and understand and internalize the feedback. But certainly I wouldn't blindly accept every single request uh, by people. But one thing that we have done historically is uh, we call it sort of like building in public. And what that means for us is we'll share mock-ups and early versions and beta previews of things that we're building. And we'll do it very early, sometimes before we've written a line of code. And we use things like Envision to get people to annotate feedback on a mock-up itself. And that's been helpful for, one, getting early feedback before we've even written any code at all, but also people get more bought in, more excited when they feel like they're part of the design process, and they really are. So that's been sort of a theme in our, our product development cycle. Crowdsourcing, just a little bit. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And again, we don't take every piece of feedback, right. you know, but it helps. Um, I want to get to some of the stuff that you have launched because there are a, a lot more than just the feed that we were talking about earlier. But before I do that, I'm going to send it to Kara Swisher uh, for an ad break. Kara? Thanks, Kurt. Today's show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, which is the presenting sponsor of Recode Media and The Smartest Way to Hire. If you run a tech company, well, then you're very used to, well, running. Sprinting through dev and testing cycles, scrambling to find investors, hurtling through regulatory reviews. When you're hiring, you don't want to waste time interviewing people who don't have all the skills and experience you need. You need a way to quickly identify the strongest, most qualified candidates. You need ZipRecruiter. Their powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes across its network to actively find people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job. So you get the qualified candidates fast. It's so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. So if you're hiring, it's time to get smart. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter right now where you can try ZipRecruiter for free. It's the lowest risk price there is. Don't waste another second. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter and start putting that technology to work for you. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. Back to you, Kurt. Thank you, Kara. Uh, We're back. I'm with Ryan Hoover, the CEO and founder of Product Hunt. Um, Okay, so I want to talk about uh, more about what you guys are doing now. So Mm -hmm. um, we talked at the very beginning about what you do. People kind of put their ideas on your site. People upvote them. It's a great way for... um, 
uh, other entrepreneurs or even investors to discover kind of stuff's out there that they didn't know. You guys, mm-hmm. I, I was looking around, um, you know, spent the last couple of days kind of tooling around the site and like, it's more of a media site than I would have thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do have a um, kind of a breaking news section or at least maybe not breaking, but you have a news section. Mm-hmm. You talk about kind of community forums. You just mentioned to me before we got on here, you're going to get your podcast up and going. Yeah. Do you think of yourselves as a media company? Yeah, it's, it's been a, a question that's come up since the beginning of Product Hunt. I think everyone likes to think they're a special snowflake, but in some ways, Product Hunt is sort of a Frankenstein of many different things. It's certainly part media. It's definitely community. That's the foundation of really Product Hunt in, in, in general. And in some ways, it's also a platform. So there's a lot of dynamics that are at play. And at the, the core of it, though, I, I describe it as a community because that actually gives us opportunities to expand and build upon other things. Like the the breaking news and, and news content that we're experimenting with right now, we're actually launching something in a couple of days, probably the time this this podcast is out, um, that incorporates more community aspects into it. The first version was more, let's create the content. Second version is let's enable the community to participate more in this type of content. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because um, that's what you know we do, right? We yeah. we write stories and, and produce podcasts and things, and it's not always easy. Um, if you go to Product Hunt, the, I'm, I'll describe it to those folks who haven't maybe seen it. Along the right-hand rail, there's kind of like news headlines for, mm-hmm. uh, for um, the tech industry. Mm-hmm. Um, who is writing those? How do you decide? Like, are you now, do you consider yourself an editor of some kind? Do you have an editor on staff? Like, where does that come from? Yeah, yeah. So we're. this was an experiment that started earlier in the year. We call it SIP. And it's intended to be a separate brand. And it started off as a mobile app. It's actually similar to, let's say, Twitter Moments or Snapchat Stories mm-hmm. in form. And so you tap and you'd see different snippets of summaries, basically, of the tech news and tweets and quotes from whether it's Recode or other publications. And so we're, we're not necessarily, we are writing to some extent some of that content. We're certainly curating what content is appearing, but it's all about curation and surfacing opinions and sometimes gifts and funny things. We want it to really be aligned with our brand, which is intended to be kittenish, like playful. Um, and so a lot of what we're doing is certainly some editorial aspects, but it's more about curation. And as we start incorporating more community features, we'll start seeing more user comments and we're introducing polls and things like that so people can share an opinion about a particular story. Um, and, and again, this is more of an experiment around how do we help people stay up to date and in a fun, interesting way that's community driven. Yeah, what's the, I was going to ask what the motivation was because I imagine, you know, it's not like you're, publishing 20 things a day, there, mm-hmm. there's just a few per day. So, and I don't even think you're advertising um, against them. You're shaking no. your head no. Um, so, you know, it's not necessarily a moneymaker for you. It's not like this is, uh, our, you know, what, is, I guess, what's the motivation? Do, do people, does it keep people on the site longer? Uh, are people, you know, discovering Product Hunt because of this? Like, wh- what made yeah. you think this was the way to go? Yeah, yeah. So the, there's a couple, couple pieces there. One is we we observed and realized that the most engaging things that drew the most just engagement in terms of comments or upvotes or activity or sharing were things that were sort of breaking news, like big news items in technology. And product launches are a part of that, but there are certainly a lot of other big breaking news items that aren't necessarily product launches. Mm-hmm. And so there was a realization that our product and community loves this content. They like to share and engage around it. Let's experiment with creating a separate sort of vertical or area of the site where we can surface that content. So that was sort of one fundamental realization. 
And then two, uh, the other other piece is thinking more about, you know, how do we create more ways for people to stay up to date in technology? We did a poll with our users and said, why do you use Product Hunt? And some of it is certainly to get users to get feedback, to uh, connect with other people in technology. But a large portion also said just to stay up to date. And Product Hunt, the homepage, is kind of a, uh, a feed of inspiration, a feed of future products, people that are building the future of technology. And tech news is also kind of a part of that sliver. Mm-hmm. So we're experimenting a lot with that now. It's still honestly TBD on you know the outcome of, of SIP and, yeah. and the news kind of direction, but there's a lot of really interesting um, kind of learnings over the past few months now. I saw when you, um, I think you recently launched private messaging too. Yeah and, yeah, and I saw that I was reading your blog post about it, and I think you referred to Product Hunt as a social network yeah. in the in the blog post. So, yeah. you know, you have um, this community element, you have news, you now have messaging. Um, you know, it does feel like you, you said earlier, Frankenstein of a of a company. You're kind of doing yeah. a little bit of everything. How's yeah. the me- like? Where's the messaging fit in for you? Yeah. So this is kind of part of the theme actually this year is to experiment with a lot of things. But going back to your social network piece, it's one realization is product that started off very, very simple in that it's a, a list of really cool products and things on the internet each day. And that's still a big part of product hunt. But what we've realized is it's become more of a network and a community of people in technology, whether they're, you know, some 16 year old kid in uh, you know, Bulgaria learning to code or, you know, a, a CEO of a company in San Francisco, there's a lot of people who are excited to share and talk about technology. And so messaging is one of those features that we built that were just frankly inspired by the obvious things. Like people in the comments were saying, hey, hey, Bob, uh, maker of this product, can you email me about this thing? Or like people were wanting to engage in private conversation. Yeah. And so we're largely taking a lot of these community and social interaction kind of um behaviors and then building upon that. I know that, um, I think it was even a Recode headline a few years ago, I believe we called you the kingmaker for startups. Um, yeah. the, the thinking being that if I post my new app on Product Hunt, I'm not only going to get discovered by maybe journalists who will write about it, but investors who want to give me money because they're mm-hmm. lo- always looking for the new hot thing. Mm-hmm. Is that? Do you still see yourself in that role? You know, I well, I kind of like to have avoid that title uh, because it starts to put a target on my back Um, and I don't feel uh, Product Hunt is a community of people and it's not just me I'm certainly a face of it but it's really driven by a lot of people and uh, not only the community but the team itself so uh, you know I kind of try to avoid that it's hard for us to truly know the impact of Product Hunt the same thing with Recode I think like you write about you, you influence the tech industry and you write about stories and startups and things that are happening that no doubt influences things that are totally outside your visibility. There's, I'm sure, fundraising um, events that are inspired by something, whether consciously or subconsciously, something that Rico did as the same thing with Product Hunt, something that appeared on Product Hunt. Mm-hmm. And going back to the messaging piece, um, I think I used in the blog post an example of Matt, Matt Hartman, someone I've known. Um, he's one example of someone who uses Product Hunt frequently, and he's an early stage, seed stage investor. He uses it to stay up to date on what's cool and new, but he also every now and then will find cool things and say, hey, Ryan, can you introduce me to the maker, Stacy, of this product? And now he doesn't have to message me. He can just message Stacy yeah. directly on the site. Do you mind being that connective tissue for people? I, I enjoy making those connections um, personally. I think um, 
yeah, I like helping people. I think introductions is this weird thing and it's like social dynamic within professional contexts where people like to make introductions yeah. if they feel like it's a valuable, good introduction to make. So I, I love it. How has your personal life been impacted by the success of Product Hunt? I know, you know, to that point, there's a lot of investors who probably know you as someone who maybe can make connections for them. There's a lot of mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, again, who think of you. And I, when I, I'm asking about you personally, but again, the company, like there are entrepreneurs who think of Product Hunt as a way to really break through. Um, So I'm curious how that has changed personally. I'm sure, um, you know, your Rolodex is much bigger, but like how else has that changed your life? Yeah, it's, I guess I've acclimated to this lifestyle. Um, Sounds like I'm a celebrity or something, but I'm not. Um, Silicon Valley celebrity. You're a Silicon Valley celebrity. I was joking the other day. It's like I'm a a D-list tech celebrity, which is like, I don't know, an (laughs) F-list and real celebrity. Um, You know, early on in Product Hunt, when it started to become popular, especially within technology, I remember one time I was at a club here in San Francisco with some friends and, and somebody said, hey, you're the Product Hunt guy. And that was the first time I was like, whoa, I was, I was drinking. Of course, I was, I was sober enough and everything, but it started make me realize the, the, there are people that might know me that I don't know. And, um, I started to be more self-conscious in general. And I think now I'm used to that. And when I'm in certain cities, even in, when I was in Berlin recently, um, someone at SoundCloud, uh, recognized me and I was like, oh, this is, it's encouraging. It's awesome to see that we have community members across the world. Um, but it makes me a little bit more self-conscious, I think in general, in public. I, I do you have, I know like dating site companies, when they create a match, you know, maybe they'll, they'll put a photo up on the wall, like, oh, these two people got married because they met on our service. <laughs> when a company gets funding from some fundraiser or whatever, uh, yeah. do you, do you have like a, a bunch of success stories, like match stories that you guys are responsible for? Yeah. Well, you know, it, I wish I could have full visibility into the influence of product and it's hard to know what, what matches were made. Uh, so yeah, we don't have one of those walls, but we need one of those. The other other wall I would love is co-founder and like side project buddy uh, oh, matches because really? you know part of the inspiration for messaging is we have these people who are all you know designers, engineers, marketers, community builders. They all are excited to build stuff, and we've done hackathons and things like that. But organically, we want people on the platform to be able to connect to each other and hopefully build a company or at least build products together. We think that's a good thing. What has the uh, uh, growth been like for you guys, um, just in general, but but maybe specifically in, you know, since the acquisition of the last 19 months? I mean, do you yeah. feel at the beginning of this conversation, I kind of described you as a Silicon Valley company. Um, obviously, there are makers and entrepreneurs all over the world, but yeah. Are you finding that you're still really growing or is it kind of like, hey, the audience is, isn't much bigger, but it's, it's the people who we really want to reach? Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're really focused on uh, a niche, a really big niche in terms of the tech audience. And it's also a group of founders and creators that are shaping the future. So while it may not be 100 million uh, MAU, it's still a very influential group of people. And this year has been, our focus has been a lot on revenue, actually. Um, we're still focusing on growth and, and overall user engagement, but a new thing for us this year has been revenue, and that's something that we've foregone and intentionally pushed off, you know, until more recently. Um, but yeah, we're, we'll be profitable this year as a team, as a business unit, mm-hmm. and that's sort of a, a milestone I'm proud to hopefully eventually, well, certainly this year, uh, check off as like a founder and but also as a team. And um, once we achieve that, then the, the focus will be actually more towards user growth from there. How much of the, um, the revenue focus is uh, direction from your new bosses at AngelList? 
Yeah, it's it was a mutual decision. It's actually a company-wide decision in that AngelList has been around now, I think, roughly eight years. And this year, I don't know if what I can say publicly about the company as a whole, but this year, all of the teams are working towards profitability. And the the realization that the truth is that we can't always be raising money. No company can. And once you reach profitability or at least get to the point where you're not burning cash, it actually opens up a lot of a lot of gateways for you to experiment, to hire faster. On the product hunt side, we're going to hire a first salesperson too, which they're going to pay for themselves now that we've proven out that people are willing to pay for this thing. Mm-hmm. They'll pay for themselves and more uh, very quickly, which can also help accelerate growth. So that's that's one of the reasons why we're sequencing our, our focus on revenue this year and then back to user growth next year. Yeah, uh, I want to talk more about that, but uh, we have to make money oh, on all right. our good, wonderful good podcast. Segue. Thank you. I just I felt, I felt like that was pretty natural. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to throw it to Kara one last time for an ad break. Kara. Thanks, Kurt. Today's show is brought to you by Darn Tough Vermont. Great content is not free, so Darn Tough Vermont Socks purchased this episode just for you. Darn Tough does one thing better than anyone else. They make the most comfortable, durable, best-fitting premium merino socks you'll ever wear, and they unconditionally guarantee them for life. In order to track the effectiveness of this ad, they're offering you 20% off your first purchase at darntough.com with the promo code MEDIA at checkout. That's darntough.com and use the code MEDIA. Hey, Recode Media listeners, this is Amanda Clute, Eater's Editor-in-Chief, and I want to tell you about a new show that we just launched on PBS with Chef Marcus Samuelson. Every Tuesday, Marcus explores the food and culture of a different immigrant community, like the Arab-American community and their cuisine in Dearborn, Michigan, the Vietnamese community in New Orleans, the Haitian community in Miami, and the list goes on and on. I really love this show because I'm learning about new cultures and traditions that I didn't know about in the United States, and I hope you do too. So check out the show every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. on eater.com slash no passport required or on PBS. Back to you, Kurt. Thank you, Kara. We are back with Ryan Hoover from Product Hunt. We were talking about making money. Uh, that is something that you uh, at Product Hunt are trying to do this year. How are you doing that? What's the money strategy? Yeah, so in the, the first six months of attempting to make money, we covered half our, our burn on the team. So we, we got off to a good start, and we're focusing largely on giving people what they've been asking to pay for. Uh, it's kind of a funny funny notion. Um, for years, people have saying, hey, we love to promote our product on Product Hunt. We you know, we launched last month, we got a bunch of feedback and users, how do we get featured on the site again? And so instead of, this is something that you have to be very careful with with the community, is how you monetize, especially if it's something new. And so instead of allowing anyone to promote anything on the front page, we actually reached back out to makers that posted in the past, that were featured in the past and had some number of upvotes, uh, which, you know, illustrated that there was some popularity for the product and allowed them to re-feature their product. And so it's been a nice way to natively kind of resurface really cool products and also make money in turn. And we've also have our own job board and a couple other things that are advertising based uh, to diversify different revenue streams. Yeah, is it mostly advertising though? Because both, you know, paying to promote a job or paying to promote my business. Either way, that's an ad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's actually the two. There's kind of a two pronged strategy. One is advertising based, which is promoted products and promoted jobs. And then we also have a platform called Ship which is a basically a SaaS-based tool to help makers launch and uh, communicate with their users as they're building their product. So is that like an a- API of some kind that people plug into or what? Yeah, it's the, the realization after seeing, I don't know, 100,000 plus products launch on Product Hunt and our, ourselves seeing how we do use different tools, 
basically what we're building is a simple landing page creator to collect emails from your users and then email message those people. And today, a lot of people are doing that already by building their own landing page, signing up for MailChimp, using Typeform to send you know, surveys to their audience to better understand them. And then they have to integrate, merge a bunch of CSVs and, and use yep. all these different tools. Instead, we're building a tool that includes all of those things in one. So it's all connected and easier to, to communicate with your users and yep. keep them up to date. The more I'm hearing, setting the, uh, you said ship, right? Yeah. Not to be confused yeah. with SIP, which is yeah. your I news know. thing. The more I'm hearing about it, you know, advertising, the the news breakouts, the podcast, the newsletter, like you really do sound media like a, mm-hmm. a media company. Um, I am curious what you think about subscriptions because you seem like a prime, that seems like a prime business opportunity yeah. for you would be to say, hey, investor, uh, you want to get the first look at you know, what the hot app is or, you know, sign up for our premium account or something yeah. like that. Have you considered that? Yeah, we, so Ship is subscription-based, but it's designed for startups or sure. people doing side projects. So not necessarily what you're describing. Um, you know, we thought about, you know, Prototemp Pro type of membership. And the realization is if if you do the math, it just doesn't come out to a big business. You really need a large portion of your audience to pay for that. And we feel that we can make money in other ways um, more effectively. So yeah. that doesn't mean we won't experiment with some of that in the future. But to to collect five dollars a month from you know you need a lot of people paying five dollars a month to make much money. Right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the life after the Angelus thing, and this was from I was reading a TechCrunch story from earlier this year about you, and there was some I'm paraphrasing now, but it was something about how Product Hunt, since the acquisition, has kind of lost some of its cool. Yeah. I don't know if you remember I know, that. I know what article you're You know what about. I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that there is some element of that in the sense that, you know, I have now known you for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and while you guys were independent, I did feel like I heard Product Hunt mentioned a lot. Yeah. I don't feel like I hear about you guys quite as much as I did. Yeah. Um, you're nodding your head, yeah, so I imagine you, at the very least, have maybe I'm not the first one who has said this. What do you think about that? Like, is that... Uh, are you aware of that? Is that fine? Does that bother you? Like, where do you feel like you guys stand? Yeah, I think it's every company and product in the beginning has this. Uh, it's almost like this competitive advantage where because you're new and shiny, there's always this feeling of of exclusivity or uh, it's the new hot thing. It's it's kind of like when a new bar opens up down the street, and no one else knows about it for the first couple of years. People feel like it's cooler then. And that might be true for a certain subset of people, especially those who are early on on the platform. It might feel like, oh, it's less cool than it used to be. Uh, but in reality, it's the community is much bigger than when we started, dramatically bigger. Mm-hmm. And it's also global and touches a lot of people outside of just Silicon Valley, which is probably 2% of our audience or something very, very small. And so while I, I've heard that feedback from other people, I think it's just a natural evolution of every company. I mean, if you even look at Foursquare, maybe as one example, a lot of people say, "What is who uses Foursquare? Like, it's so lame, right? But actually, a lot of people use Foursquare. My girlfriend has checked in 10,000 times and wow. every day. She's, she's the mayor in. of like every city in LA or yeah. every restaurant in LA. Yeah, and I apparently um, am also checking in everywhere because she tags me, <laughs> um, yet I don't use Swarm or anything. But Foursquare is, is still super valuable. And from a business perspective, they've been never better this like today and even though they've been around forever. Yeah. So that that's my perception. Certainly when you're building a brand in the community, you want to make sure it's fun and lively and 
there are new things, and that's why we're expanding upon the network of, of product hunt and turning it. Uh, social network might be too strong of a word, but building more social tools to help people connect to each other. Is there a benefit to kind of um, maybe not being in the limelight in that same way? Yeah, it's, I think a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs chase the limelight and they do it for the wrong reasons. And for us, we're a little bit unique in that we are building for the tech audience. And so being in the limelight within the tech press is actually one of our strongest growth opportunities in the early days. Today, it doesn't make a difference because the people that read Recode or TechCrunch, a lot of them already know about Product Hunt, so it's sure. not necessarily a, a growth strategy. But uh, for us, it's been important to have a brand that people recognize and be a place that's exciting and fun. Um, whereas for other things, you know, other companies, it's not, it, it's kind of a trap when you chase press or, you know, chase it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Chase it for the likes on, on your Instagram or Facebook. Sure. Um, at this point in your cycle, um, I imagine you've seen like every type of product under the sun come through. Uh, you are now investing mm -hmm. yourself. Uh, which is relatively new, correct? You you yeah. have a small fund that you have raised? Yeah, I raised it just over a year ago. Now. Okay, a year mm -hmm. ago. Um, so what's the deal with that? So it's, what, $3 million fund, and mm -hmm. you are, are you picking companies that come through Product Hunt? Are you, you know, are you allowed to do that? Like, what's, how's that work? Yeah, yeah, I honestly haven't used Product Hunt all that much for sourcing, and I think a large Reason why it's kind of is, funny. But I'm I'm smiling because it's like I would have thought that'd be the prime source for you. Yeah, yeah. It's actually it's a lot of other investors, seed stage investors, and more traditional channels. So a lot of referrals and occasionally people on my network that I've known for a while who might know somebody who's building a company. A lot, not much of it has been through Protent directly, and that's largely because I don't know if they're raising, and I don't know a lot about the business. I might be able to play with a product and might think it's interesting. And I certainly reached out to some companies that I see on there, just like Matt Hartman, who I mentioned earlier, as an example. Um, but most of it's been through other investors and, and people in the scene. What have you learned so far? Is this, is, was this, is this your first foray into investing or were you doing this before? It's the first, yeah. yeah. It's I Pre-product hunt, I was considering what I wanted to do career-wise. And I was considering venture just because I love products, love talking to founders, but didn't pursue it then. And um, yeah, so this is the first time investing. I've invested in 17 companies. I think what I have learned is, one, it takes a long time to learn if you're really good. Um, it's one of the longest feedback loops um, from a career perspective, right. which is can be a good thing and a bad thing. Um, I have learned more about fund economics and being more on the investor side, thinking more about how investors make decisions, whereas prior to this, I was, of course, just a founder and I didn't have that kind of lens to, to look and evaluate companies. Um, but it's been fun. I, I love I love investing. It's been a joy to to kind of ex challenge myself and and also learn what it's like to invest. What a uh, if you made seventeen investments, I imagine you're making pretty small seed stage stuff. Um, yeah. What you know for for entrepreneurs who might be listening to this because they know Product Hunt, and they know you. Yeah. What stands out at that level of of business life cycle? Yeah, so I'm I'm investing typically fifty to hundred k checks in pre-product and like seed stage companies primarily, and a lot of it is, I mean, I could say all the cliches like the, the team, the market, and all of sure. those things, but a lot of it is around the the vision of the the founder and the team and what they're building, and also that they're building something for the future. And so one example of this, without 
giving too much away because they're they're stealth right now. There's a company in the audio space, and I met with a founder. It's pre-product. He has a deck and uh, you know mockups of what he's building, and if you saw that alone, you wouldn't probably be all that impressed. But if you met with him and understood his vision for the future of voice communication and how, um, you know, as we start to see more audio devices in the form of Google Home and Alexa and AirPods, um, he has a really clear vision of what he wants to build. And while it's super early, pre-product, it's at the terms and, and with a vision that's bold and big enough to, to be something very meaningful. Yeah. What's the most exciting area for you? I mean, you probably see all different, you see products and and apps in all different industries. Yeah. What are you most uh, excited about tech-wise? Yeah. So audio and, and, and voice is something that I'm really interested in just because it's it's one of those platform shifts that we're just starting to see come to light in terms of, uh, and platform shifts are, are one of those things within consumer in particular where incumbents you know can be disrupted by these new players. You think about interaction and in this particular case with um, with someone I won't name, uh, he's thinking about like, what would Twitter be like uh, if it was built today on audio. Uh, oh, interesting. Voice. So there's a lot of really interesting dynamics at play within the voice space. Others that I'm fascinated by, one is digital celebrities or avatars or the future of entertainment in that form. And I think Brud and, and what um, uh, Lil Michaela kind of is representing along with many others is really a fascinating trend towards how people interact with you know something that's not real, that feels just like a celebrity and has a relationship with their users. So there's a lot of interesting things, yeah. weird things. I, you actually lost me because I was, I thought I was on, I, I was thinking like what we would have referred to as Vine stars a few years ago, oh, but you're talking oh, yeah. more like a fake cartoon that's a personality. Yeah. So if you, if you think about, it seems weird, but did you ever see the, the movie Simone? No. Oh, I so know. Sorry. It's, I think from the nineties, it's an old film Okay. and it's actually about this digital made up AI celebrity that is a singer and tours and, but she's not real and people don't know it. And Lil Michaela is, is actually born out of a company called Brud. And she is one example of sort of this digital celebrity. She's on Instagram with 1.2 million followers, I think right now. Wow. And she has brand deals with um, Outdoor Voices and all these different companies. You'll see her on billboards in LA and she's a CG, completely fake woman. Um, but she has a story in this world around her that she's expressing through Instagram. And if you look at Lil Michaela versus a real celebrity, let's just take I don't know who's a celebrity you love. Kim, I was gonna say Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian. As soon as you said celebrity, I started to say Kim Kardashian. Then you're like celebrity you love, <laughs> and I like kind of hesitated. But it's let's right. go with Kim Kardashian. Yeah, She's great. Kim. So if you look at Kim and, and celebrities in general, they they do craft a brand and a narrative, and they post on social, and they're really not that much different from Lil Michaela. The big difference though is uh, Kim Kardashian is a real person who has real person needs, and and uh, you know she also can't be everywhere at once. Whereas Lil Michaela can be changed and her world can be adapted however the creators want. She can also be everywhere. She doesn't have to just be in LA, but she could be in Berlin tonight and SF tonight. And there's a lot of really interesting yeah. dynamics within the world of entertainment, whether it's music or um, film and social, all of those things that I think is really fascinating. What is the difference, and and I say this as someone who hasn't seen Lil Michaela, uh, what's the difference between like her and a cartoon character, or is it roughly the same? Just one is more technologically advanced. Yeah, I would. Well, and it's not that it's. I would say technologically advanced because it's it's ultimately a an image that looks somewhat almost real, but you can tell it's not real. 
but there's not not that there's AI. And I think that's actually a misunderstanding. A lot of people look at these and say, oh, we need to build an AI that can speak for itself. But I think it's actually what's it's important for this type of world is to to be a good storyteller and really understand the the concept of story telling stories, not building an AI. So uh, back to your question, what's interesting is they start to blend the real world and you know the cartoon fake world together. And that's why seeing little Michaela in your Instagram feed next to your friend and other real people is a really fascinating trend uh, that you don't see in traditional media yeah. or entertainment. So you think this is you think there's a lot of uh, opportunity there. like this is this isn't gonna only continue to improve and grow, not that little Michaela is the only person we're ever going to hear from. Yeah, yeah, there, there's and they're not the only ones. You could say gorillas to some extent is kind of a form of that as well. And, and others in the past, Asia has, you know, a lot more of this activity happening. Um, but I think it's an interesting trend. I think also avatars in general is a fascinating trend as well. There's a company called Facemoji that I inve- uh, invested in, and they're building avatars for esports streamers. And what they're solving is, one, it's really difficult to have good lighting when you're, you know, streaming uh, on your camcord, camcorder or maybe you have bad equipment. Um, a lot of times for women, they don't want to stream their face, you know, on Twitch. Mm. They immediately start to get harassed. There's a lot of privacy issues. And so they're building a way to create almost an emoji-like avatars uh, for esports streamers to solve some of those issues, but also create a fun kind of experience, like a different way of engaging yeah. with people on the internet. What is, I am, I've been racking my brain for the last 30 seconds. What is the movie that just came out that was a great book where everyone lives as an avatar? Ready Player One. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. Is this what you, I mean, is this the future that you are envisioning for all of us here? I think the internet becomes more representative of our actual real expressions and emotions. And so if you look back, we kind of hacked it with emoticons, like the colons, like parentheses for a smiley Mm -hmm. face. And then we have emojis, of course. And then we have GIFs and other ways of expressing emotion. And now in emojis by Apple, of course, is a good illustration of, wow, you can actually express and and, and really show your expression with your actual face, but through you know a digital kind of cartoon. And when you move your eyebrow, it even moves. And so in the future, I think the internet and the way that we communicate digitally will be a lot more expressive. And inevitably, we'll live in something like Ready Player One. Um, I know that's scary to a lot of people, but I feel like if you fast forward n number of years, it's inevitable that we start to create our own world and ultimately try to solve a lot of the issues that we have with just the the limitations of yeah. the physical world. Well, you know, I, I imagine the benefits of a little Michaela or something is like she's not going to get in trouble for you know <laughs> real world st- yeah. like as a as a pro an advertiser who's in using her as an endorsement opportunity. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about her getting a DUI or, you know, cursing or saying something on Twitter that she wants to take back, right? Because mm-hmm. like I imagine that's a side benefit of all this. Unless it's part of the narrative. I mean, True. celebrities certainly do that intentionally. They, um, you know, I don't want to be a judge and I don't actually know, but I'm sure there are celebrities that have dated other celebrities in advance of their movie launch <laughs> just so they can get more attention and press. Yeah. And so, but yeah, you're right. There, It doesn't, humans, humans are really complex. And if you're building uh, an entire company and brand off of a real human versus maybe a digital celebrity that you have full control over, it actually introduces a lot more risk. Um, so even the even the celebrities are going to be out of a job thanks to AI. It's not just us, you know, journalists who are writing the the stories, but and maybe maybe it's the the journalists and the writers that start to t- eat some of the the celebrities' lunch in that sense. Oh, there you uh, go. Yeah, you know? someone's got to write the storyline, right? Yeah, somebody's got to craft the message. And I don't oh. know if AI 
AI will be able to do that anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, well, Ryan, this has been awesome. Hopefully next time our avatars will uh, perhaps have this conversation. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining us today. It was really great to chat. Yeah, thanks, Garrett. Thank you, Ryan, for coming on the podcast. And thanks to all of you for listening. As Peter Kafka always says, please tell someone about this show. You can tell them in person. You can tweet about it. Or you can just post it uh, in the comments on Product Hunt. Why not? Uh, thanks to our sponsors. Thank you to Cadence 13 and Vox Media. They sell all of those wonderful ads that you heard so that you can listen to Recode Media for free. And thanks to Joel Robbie, who edits the show, and to our producers, Golda Arthur and Eric Johnson. This is Recode Media, and we will see you next week. Today's show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, which is the presenting sponsor of Recode Media and The Smartest Way to Hire. In the business of tech, it's practically scripture that you have to be comfortable with big, bold, exciting risks. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't try to minimize the downsides of taking big risks. If you're hiring, you can massively reduce uncertainty with ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes across its network to actively find people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job. And as applications come in, it analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates to save you time and make sure you never miss a great match. It's so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. So if you're hiring, it's time to get smart. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter right now to try ZipRecruiter for free, the lowest risk price there is. Don't waste another second. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter and start putting that technology to work for you. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter.